All right, welcome to another episode of The National Pulse. It's Monday, June the 28th, the year of our Lord 2021. What a day of football we've had, real football that is. Not what you guys call hand egg, should call hand egg. Real football, Euro 2020, although it's being played in 2021. We'll let it slide. And I know you don't care much about that, so I'll just gloss over the fact that Switzerland just knocked out France on penalties. And we'll get started with what I hope will be a very, very impactful show today. Not least, because it's been a while. We have a lot of things to cover. I want to talk about Pamela Carlin today. This is the DOJ's... The Biden DOJ's lead on um, election unintegrity and how Pamela Carlin has no right to be in the position she's in should be recused Dashik style of her role in the DOJ. We'll get to that. And by we'll get to that, I don't mean we'll get to the topic. We'll get to the recusal happening. Because if this was the Trump administration, no partisan apparatchik like Pamela Carlin would be allowed anywhere near election integrity. But these are not normal times, ladies and gentlemen. And just to underscore how abnormal these times are, I want to bring in a very abnormal guest. Joe Allen has recently begun to write articles for us over at the National Pulse, is now a full-time contributor to the War Room as well. And Joe Allen, while being uh, pretty hot on the transhumanism uh, beat, has has pivoted a little bit in recent weeks to talk about this huge kerfuffle surrounding, uh, I don't know what they're called now, UFOs, as I like to call them, as they've commonly been known uh, from back in my X-File watching days. Um, the, the government... And, and and not just the American government, but several governments seem to believe that it's 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 worthwhile hyping this latest um, report that's come out. We're going to bring in Joe Allen now to to talk about this and to talk about you know what are the real world ramifications, not the kind of fantasy land ramifications that you've been hearing about on the on the mainstream corporate media about this. Joe, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me on, Raheem. Um. Joe, you feel free to uh, you feel free to lead the way on this conversation because honestly, I mean, the last time the last time I had anything to do with aliens was you know in my X file watching days, and I I cannot understand for the life of me how we are being sort of signaled to that that we should be really deeply concerned about these. Um, moving objects in the sky and lights that move at a, a pace that isn't understandable, or, or or that the government won't, you know, give an understandable explanation to the public over these things. Um, but first, let me ask you this: this sure. report that came out uh, on Friday, it was it was hyped beyond, you know, the imagination. And I don't just mean on a corporate news media level. I mean like here in Washington D.C., people are kind of whispering behind the scenes and. Uh, you know, really trying to get to the bottom of this is a really big deal. We're all going to have to pivot to the alien beat because, you know, aliens are going to come out last Friday. Tell us a little bit about this report and what it actually said, because it seemed to me like a pretty damp squib. Yeah, it was a bit of a flop. Uh, but, you know, it did have one great line in it. Uh, out of 144 cases, uh, they found one UAP is the politically correct term now. <laughs> so just be careful. Sure. when you're talking about this, but uh, they found one UAP that they could identify, which was a large deflating balloon. Now, I, I would say that uh, that was probably a well-placed joke on the part of the intelligence community. Maybe it's a cruel metaphor for the ufologist Jeremy Corbell's head. Uh, but yeah, the report itself uh, really has no meat. I think that this probably isn't going away anytime soon. They've done a pretty good job of, you know, activating those people who are really, really kind of, you know, hell-bent on believing in UFOs and have a lot of hope in UFOs. And they've also done a really good job of, you know, garnering the public's support in trying to force the government into disclosing what they have. 
But, um, yeah, as far as Friday goes, uh, big uh, nothing burger, I think they call it. So then let's get to, you know, the impetus behind all of this, because there has been a lot of hype. There has been a lot of, um, uh, I think, fear-mongering at the same time. And you've written some excellent articles about this in the last couple of weeks. So so start us off with, with your first, because you, you sort of burst out of the blocks talking about how, you know, Obama was out there on the James Corden program and others uh, trying to send kind of, you know, almost... Um, thinly veiled messages to to what you describe as as, as kind of UFO cults um, is, is is can that be can that be true could could the former president of the United States be be signaling to to you know weird pseudo quasi religious groups in this country well i mean I, I wouldn't necessarily say that was his intention uh, there's no way to know obama's intention i don't think anyone ever has since he came on the political scene but I, I do think that he's at least aware that making a statement like that uh, is bound to fascinate people who are into UFOs and bound to fascinate the, the sort of cult that he has around himself. So, and he's not alone in this, you know, Bill Clinton, uh, John Podesta, you have, uh, there's really no way either to know uh, the former uh, DOD intelligence agent, Christopher Mellon's political leanings, at least I've not been able to track it down. But, you know, he did serve under Clinton. And what I've seen, and of course, Harry Reid has been really big on this. And what I've seen, at least in the last, say, uh, five years, uh, and certainly in the last two, is a concerted push uh, from the political left to seize on this narrative. And what you generally see, maybe not always, but what you generally see is a narrative which tries to kind of assuage the public's concern about aliens, you know, scooping you up and probing you or, you know, detonating some sort of strange quasar pulse in the middle of a city. And they're more cultivating a a story in which we live in this vast universe, you know, full of endless stars and galaxies. So surely life exists. And, Every now and then, you you get this sense, especially, say, in the film The Phenomenon, you get this sense that they're trying to prepare the public to accept extraterrestrials as our, you know, intergalactic friends. Um, Maybe they've been speaking to them behind closed doors. Certainly, the Weekly World News has been covering that for a long time, back back into the 80s. Oh, well, they've been doing more than that behind closed doors, according to that magazine. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But, you know... I think it's, it's quite possible that this is just a fluke, but I, it's so curious that so many prominent figures would come out on this, and especially the major prestigious media outlets pushing the, the kind of hype behind it. Mm. I, I certainly have my own speculations, but I, I dare not say them until I have a bit more information. It is definitely a concerted push, though. Maybe it's a game of follow the leader. Um, Maybe there's something more to it. But I I find it really funny that, you know, you'd mentioned Obama signaling UFO cults. Uh, When he does talk about things like new religions, uh, he says it in a a way that ignores all of the longstanding UFO religions that we already have. And I've been following, say, the Raelian News Network, and I've been following uh, The Final Call, which is published by the Nation of Islam in Chicago. And they're celebrating this. They're, they're absolutely ecstatic that finally the mainstream media, instead of mocking their beliefs, has come to acknowledge the reality that they've been claiming this whole time, which is that there are extraterrestrials visiting the Earth. And of course, in their narratives, which vary, they're all over the map, but in their narratives, uh, by and large, this is a good thing. There are friends. And, you know, in the case of the Nation of Islam, it's a really good thing because not only are they a friend to the nation and, and various other ethnic groups, uh, but they're also an enemy to their enemies. And they're expected to completely annihilate those enemies once they finally make their, their big debut. So, Joe, this is one of the things that I learned from you and learned from your article is I didn't really have that grasp on on the Nation of Islam being one of these kind of 
um, UFO cults. Could you explain that to us a little bit? Because I think most people, maybe maybe the audience knows this. I I didn't, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think most people don't recognize that that you know spaceships and all that factor into the Nation of Islam. You know, it's funny. Uh, I actually didn't learn it in my religious studies education. You know, I studied comparative religion in my undergraduate, and then in my uh, graduate degree, I uh, studied the scientific. Uh, approaches to religion, uh, also focusing on comparative religion. And at no point did anyone ever mention that the nation of Islam has a belief in a, a vast mother plane, a circular mother plane that is orbiting out somewhere near the earth, but just out of sight. Mm. And that, that mother plane is piloted by black men who boarded sometime around 1929 and that they have smaller uh, fighter planes, I suppose you would say, or maybe they're saucer-shaped as well, uh, that are preparing as we speak to come down and annihilate America, and particularly the white race in America. Mm. It's uh, curious to me that, you know, and this teaching goes back uh, a long time. I, I, you know, I don't know when it began to creep into Elijah Muhammad's preaching, uh, but Certainly, he had a lot to say about it. And, you know, Louis Farrakhan has done nothing but affirm those teachings. In fact, The Final Call has been republishing uh, his lecture series. I think it's a 52-part lecture series in the run-up to the report. And he pretty much, as far as I can tell, holds the same belief. That, that this is going to be, a, you know, a, an extraterrestrial genocide campaign waged on behalf of the oppressed. Now, it could be, you could look at this as it's just funny. Uh, something tells me that if uh, anybody in the Nation of Islam heard me speaking this way and I were to find myself alone with them in a room, things might get a little heated. Uh, but you could look at this as, as sort of funny. There's only 50,000 members to the Nation of Islam and outside of a few incidents of violence, they've actually been fairly peaceable uh, compared to what you might expect with a belief system like that. But at the same time, the seriousness with which the media and people on the left and my fellow academics take any hint that there's any animosity or the potential for violence in the rhetoric of any religious group that doesn't fall under a protected class they take this very, very seriously, and yet, for whatever reason, this extraordinarily violent belief system really kind of passes under their notice. And if they do notice, they certainly don't emphasize it. It's it's fascinating to watch this um, this narrative kind of not just take hold, and, and actually not even take hold, but kind of be be built up and be so. Um, you know, visible at the same time, um, or, or at least transparent at the same time. I, f I personally find that visible. I, I, I think the timing is. I think all of the, um, it's that young quote, right, that you use in the in the in the beginning of your of your second article for us about the golden opportunity of seeing how legend is formed, and sure. and you sort of see the 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 powers that be. Um, the corporate media class, the political class, all kind of co you know coalescing um, around a singular narrative here, and it's interesting because I think over the last couple of decades, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, um, the the American average sort of belief in extraterrestrial life has has increased. More people are likely to say uh, that they believe in life outside of of, of planet Earth. Um, certainly, I think there you know is intelligence out of, outside of planet Earth in the sense that I don't think there's much intelligence left on planet Earth. Um, and and now you're probably going to see a decline in the number of people that believe in this because of the people who are telling them uh, all about Undoubtedly. it. Undoubtedly, tell me, undoubtedly. Tell me more about that. Mm. But, you know, as far as the history of the prevalence of the belief in America and around the world, I, I really haven't seen those statistics, so I can't say. I know that the earliest UFO cults were formed in Europe and in America, and uh, really in the, the 50s is when you started to see the, the biggest rise of them. So the Aetherius group in, I believe it began in Shropshire, England, or at least the founder, George King, is from Shropshire. And uh, pardon me if I've got that wrong, but it began in Europe and uh, really took hold there and in California of all places. Mm. <clears throat> Scientology 
really uh, began with L. Ron Hubbard and his dabbling in the occult in California. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, has, has really soared in America. It's taken a big hit after the advent of the Internet uh, exposed a lot of their beliefs, but it still has tremendous sway in Hollywood. Uh, who else? Uh, you know, the, the Urantia book gets a lot of uh, a, a lot of traffic in the New Age circles. Mm. Uh, the Raelians, of course, uh, in Europe and also in North America and Asia. So, you know, you've, you've had a really strong, like hardcore group of people who have, you know, formed religious groups around it. And then the general public, of course, has been treated to all sorts of narratives about flying saucer visitations and abductions. And that, you know, for instance, uh, one, this isn't a metric, but at least it gives me a sense of how prevalent that, that sense was in the wider public. Uh, the book Messengers of Deception by Jacques Vallée, which was published in 1979, in that book and in previous books, he really is concerned that the prevalence among the general public of the belief in UFOs is bringing the society closer and closer to the possibility that one of these cults will really, really take hold and possibly start to take real power. Mm. Uh, it, I, I, again, I, I'd be really interested to see the statistics. It's possible that I could Google it for you right now and, and let you know. But uh, what I, I do agree with your assessment that with all of this mainstream coverage, with all of this attention put on it, and it's not just the left either. I mean, right. you know, I've, I've watched with absolute fascination as Tucker Carlson has, has covered this story. And, uh, you know, George Norrie uh, of Coast to Coast AM, many people despise him because of comparisons to Art Bell, but I think that's uncharitable. Uh, he's just as credulous. So, but George Norrie is also a figure on the right who really has, you know, kept this flying saucer spinning. And when it goes from, you know, just crazy, you know, backwoods stories to the weekly world news to coast to coast AM to the New York Times and Fox News, it's really difficult for me to imagine that that cultural momentum is going to slow down. I I suspect that it will only ramp up in the years going forward. Well, Joe, we've got plenty of time for it, and I know you've got another piece with us uh, as well, so we'll get that up as soon as possible. In the meantime, um, is there anything else you think we should know, you think we should be looking out for in the coming days, weeks? Uh, we'll obviously be following and tracking your your articles very closely here. You know, look, this is what I see in the UFO phenomenon. It, for the most part, I, I have no way of assessing whether or not there are actual flying saucers dipping down and scooping people up and stealing their sperm and eggs. I have no way of confirming whether or not what's being recorded on you know, radar systems and infrared cameras and reported by fighter pilots, whether or not these are extraterrestrial craft or not. But what I do think is that this really fits in in a, an eerily appropriate way with the general zeitgeist of the culture, with the techno obsession of the culture, with the sense of crisis in the culture in which people you know, completely unanchored from traditional religious systems are, I would say, instinctively or at least innately in need of some sort of spiritual direction. And you, you see as, especially in the wake of COVID, right, you, you have this incredible opportunity to imprint the society with new stories. Now, I don't think that UFO narratives are necessarily going to take hold of the the majority of the population or even necessarily have tremendous sway among the elites in the population. I imagine that most elites probably snicker and sneer at this, just like they do the same religions they claim to believe. But I do think that this is just one node on a very complex cultural network. And that cultural network is pushing the society towards a greater dependency on technology, a greater dependency on those who produce the technology. Right. Uh, there's, we saw in the years running up to COVID and certainly during COVID, a massive sort of hype campaign around virtual reality, mm-hmm. around uh, corporate dissemination of psychedelic drugs 
of robotics taking hold in the factories and in various other sectors of our lives, of artificial intelligence and the, pos the possibilities that it presents to us. <clears throat> With artificial intelligence in particular, uh, you have a, a kind of earthly parallel with alien life forms, right? Like the religious mind needs a higher intelligence to guide the individual and the society. And Ray Kurzweil at Google and his quest to create a super intelligent artificial intelligence system, mm. one that is incomprehensible to the human mind and far more in touch with the, the data-based realities of the world, Ray Kurzweil is holding out this possibility that maybe one day he can create God for us. Uh, you also have a number of other, you know, kind of midway transhumanist types that offer us the possibility that maybe we can actually implant uh, chips in our own minds that connect to the internet and uh, exploit artificial intelligence analysis and give us some sort of uh, access to or put us in touch with this higher intelligence. So as the religious mind seeks some kind of anchor, you have those points of contact. And I see the UFO phenomenon is fitting in really perfectly with it. And if you read the literature, especially stuff like, say, uh, Diane Pasolka's book, American Cosmic, mm. uh, or even uh, the religious studies scholar Jeffrey Kripal's book, the supernatural, two different words, you can see how the religious mind really, with, with all of the kinds of paranormal expectations that it has, melds really closely with UFOs. And if you look at the abductee accounts, you see that they're associated with a number of sorts of paranormal claims. So I guess in short, what I see in the UFO phenomenon, at least it, 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 it at present is just simply one element in, uh, you know, or, or one kind of uh, point of momentum in a society that's careening towards absolute lunacy. Joe, it's a really good point. Well taken about, especially about the um, the virtual reality stuff. I mean, the scientism, I mean, one word to, to, to sort of to summarize a lot of, um, you know, the trajectory there that you're talking about is scientism. But it's it's interesting because I just recently started to follow uh, Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook itself on his page. And he every it's almost every day he's he's updating with, you know, highly exciting new virtual reality technology. Um, which is, you know, kind of been, at least until this point, tangential to, to the Facebook company, now seems to be coming more and more of a, of a mainstream and a, and a main staple of their business. Um, so, the, Oculus, the Oculus, I think, is one of the most popular systems. Right. Right. Yeah. No. And I think I think that's absolutely right. And good. Good for you for for tracking on that because I think that's exactly what's happening here. Joe, just tell our audience because I, look, I want to bring you back more regularly on this. So don't feel like you need to cram everything into this one episode. And I'm sure I'm going to get lots sure. of comments from the audience about bringing you back. It's a fascinating um, subject, uh, and it's not going uh, away anytime soon. So tell the audience real quick where can they follow you in the intervening periods when you're not on this show or the war room. You can always follow me at my Substack at www.jobot.xyz, or I've got two new social media accounts at Twitter and Gab at J O E B O T X Y Z. Joe Allen, we're really grateful to to hear from you, and we'll have your uh, your next article up uh, in short order. Uh, thank you very much for having me, Raheem. Don't go anywhere. It's not the end of the show. It's the halfway point of the show. I want to bring in Natalie Winters here. You know, Natalie, we were joking before Joe came on the show that you know, Joe may be an alien himself. Maybe yeah. I'm an alien. Well, that was going to be the punchline of the <laughs> joke. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks for that. Awesome stuff. Um, we save time. Yeah, we save time. Just hit the punchline first. I should have just started with maybe Natalie's an alien. Um, yeah. Well, because look, here's the thing. If, if, if you were an alien and you were trying to like, you know, send somebody in to start talking about aliens, you'd name them something like, Joe, right? Like ordinary Joe, average Joe, 
as we say in England, Joe Bloggs, right? So Joe, and then Alan, Alien. It's only one letter difference. And yeah. he's drawing attention to letters in the XYZ part of his URL, part of his Substack, and part of his Twitter uh, handle. So just saying... So from one alien to the next, <laughs> welcome back to the program, Natalie Winters. And to a third alien here, in fact, let's listen yeah. to the next alien. Is that if you allow unlimited spending on elections, uh, money will be translated into votes. Uh, and over time, that will undermine our democracy. And the Supreme Court had an opportunity to think long and hard about that this year in a case from Montana. Montana has a history. So this is Pamela Carlin, Natalie. Pamela Carlin, the the new, you know, impresario, the chief of election integrity. But don't you want your chief of election integrity to have at least been consistent throughout their election integrity history? You see, Pamela Carlin there, and we'll play it again in just a moment for those who didn't catch it, because I guess that was a kind of a janky intro to it. But Pamela Carlin there is talking about corporate influence in elections. But one of Pamela Carlin's own bosses themselves, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, Center for Tech and Civic Life, uh, Zuckerberg Chan, 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 Chan Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, sorry, Zuckerberg sorry, yeah, the China always has to come first. Um, <laughs> the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative funneling money into elections. Now, she says there herself, in fact, let's listen to it one more time real quick. She says there herself, Right. Is that if you allow unlimited spending on elections, uh, money will be translated into votes. Uh, and over time, that will undermine our democracy. And the Supreme Court had enough. So money will be translated into votes, and over time, that will undermine our democracy. Is that not what we saw in 2020, Natalie? Precisely. I think Pamela Carlin is one of these kind of Peter Doshak figures in the sense that she keeps kind of re-emerging on the scene, whether it's as an impeachment witness, uh, whether it's in the Obama administration or right now in the Biden regime. So, of course, you're talking about this clip. I think it was from 2013. Am I Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I watched a lot of her videos over the weekend, so it got got lost in the show. Oh, at least did you read her book? <laughs> See, you do the clips. I read the book. Yes. Right. I that, didn't. Read the book. <laughs> okay, that book. Let me tell you something. Very like so. I which one was it? I even forget the name of it now. But it was how to uh, steal an election. Yeah, it was. It was a little <laughs> less on the nose than that. It was basically how to trash the American Constitution. It was. It was her big book on the American Constitution. Um, it's appalling. Like, I, I, if you wrote in that parlance, I would just hit delete on the articles. <laughs> it's that badly written. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so so why her comments are, are so just hypocritical and just kind of bizarre, it's because she is obviously a former member of the Facebook Oversight Board, who is, of course, linked to Facebook, hence the name. Uh, but people might remember, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, so I'll do it very briefly, but, you know, Mark Zuckerberg plowed, I think it was $350 million, at least that's what was re reported. Yeah. yeah, that was, you know, just kind of like the Foreign Agent Registration Act thing with regards to Hunter Biden, you know, a lot of times they don't register. Right. Uh, but, we'll get but, to that. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but nonetheless... Very interesting comments to be coming from someone who was so involved with basically an undemocratic attempt to steal an election through her links to Facebook. We have some other successful clips. attempt. Yeah, uh, we have some other clips of, of her coming out, kind of saying similarly bizarre things. But I think it just goes back to what you said, and I think you can probably uh, rant on on her better than I can. Yeah, but oh, um, I can. Yeah, and I will. No, yeah, I, I, she should be your your Peter Doshak. You can you can make her well, famous. Well, hold on. Peter Dashik was my Peter Dashik as well. At least half of Peter Dashik was my Peter Dashik. Um, I'm, cla I'm claiming. Well, I'm claiming from the waist up. You can have the waist down. I don't no, want no, that. I think we should just go split like him down this vertical. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Fine. Um, no. Well, honestly, I enjoy watching. You know, can I say one thing very quickly that people will probably really can be concerned about my mental health? I have watched all of the videos of Peter Dashak, and I desperately want more of them. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Wait, this is a big claim. Are you claiming to have watched every video of Peter Dashak on the internet? I think so. 
I'll check. No, really, that and podcasts. And it was, it was actually really funny. And this is really going to make people scared. But I was a few days ago, I was sitting in my apartment alone. And I just finished a story and there was nothing playing in the background. And I was like, I can't work. I can't focus. I need something playing in the background. And instead of saying, oh, I'm going to put music on, my brain literally went, oh, I'm going to play a Peter Dalshat clip. <laughs> <laughs> so, just to go back and check I'm if like you missed anything. I rewired my brain to listen to Peter Dalshat instead of music. So it's it's really bad. Well, um, listen, Peter, <laughs> if you're listening, which I imagine by this point you are, because people keep sending it to you going, listen to these creeps, keep talking yeah. about you. Um, listen, Peter, if you need to know where to send the uh, restraining order, <laughs> I'm afraid you can't serve Natalie Winters at the National Post Office. You'll have to find some other way of doing doing it um but you're right natalie about pamela carlin being that she's the peter dashik peter dashik's the peter dashik of of covid19 pamela carlin is the peter dashik of election integrity uh by which i mean um terribly educated you know despite all of her credentials she she has almost no ability to string a coherent sentence together not at least not in her books that i've gone through it's they've it's very very uh uh you know junior varsity i think the phrase is that you use over here um it's it the sentences are just sort of you can almost hear the valley girl inflection at the end of them hey. yeah exactly <laughs> that was a personal jab um i'm not from the valley well whatever you're from that side of the world <laughs> Um, the other part of it is, you know, she's very clearly anti-US constitution. She, she, in her book, she's constantly railing at Justice Scalia in, in kind of an almost a, a, a petulant dear diary way, you know, uh, dear diary. She calls to, herself a snarky bisexual Jewish woman. Well, and she, and look, and I guess she is very snarky in the book, but it's not snarky in a humorous sense. It's just kind of, it, it, it sound of, so, kind of just sounds bitter. She's just got this huge vendetta against Justice Scalia and all of his opinions, and she kind of just rails against them in the most childish way. But what was really interesting is going through the chapters of her book and looking at her perspectives on the First Amendment, uh, her pers- which basically are, you can imagine, ladies and gentlemen, what Pamela Carlin believes about the First Amendment. Uh, she believes that her speech is fine and dandy and other people's speeches. Um, the same thing, well, similar thing on the Second Amendment, where you know she obviously wants the rules rewritten, she thinks that you know the second amendments for hunting and and all of this stuff and then you look at her considerations on election integrity and it's really interesting to me because she writes quote if the government uses unreliable voting machines or staffs polling places with badly trained workers citizens may effectively be prevented from voting um by the press of other responsibilities that preclude waiting in line for hours. And of course, across the United States now, you have this raging argument about getting that right, getting getting whether you're getting into the polling station in, in good time, correct, whether the uh, machines are reliable, whether the drop boxes are secure. And Carlin is now having to, to flip-flop um, in order to speak for the biden uh, department of justice she is now effectively going against everything that she has laid out in the past in order to shoehorn her partisan opinions into the opinions of uh the biden uh, doj and i don't think that merrick garland is a particularly large part of all of this i, I you know i think he's sort of the 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 francis collins of the piece right he's he's on the top of the pyramid but he doesn't actually have much to do with the day-to-day workings of the people underneath him pamela carlin let's just go through this person's history real quick because pamela carlin you know the, the world needs to know who she is and what she represents so uh Aside from her role as a hyper-progressive um, lawyer who has represented all sorts of hyper-progressive causes, you know, up and even up into the the Supreme Court, and and I know there will be lawyers in this in this listening to this and 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 going, well, look, you know, you can say what you want about her writings, but you do have to be kind of a talented lawyer to represent, you know, at the Supreme Court. I, I don't even know that that's necessarily true. I haven't even looked into that enough to, to know what, what the bar is on that basis. But she doesn't seem like a particularly effect. She seems like more of an academic than she is an actual practical legal mind. The other part of it is, uh, you know, she's worked at the um, Facebook Oversight Board. She has represented 
well, she supposedly been an independent witness uh, at the first Trump impeachment, but actually she was brought in by the Democrats to offer a very far left perspective um, on the impeachment. What else? Is there anything else I'm missing here? Uh, uh, d- during impeachment, she made headlines not only because she mocked Baron Trump, she did but mock Baron Trump. back in the days of war room impeachment, we had unearthed, I think it was you, I, I won't take any credit for it. Was it was me. Um, <laughs> but an interesting speech that she had given in 2006, and this was kind of amidst the mainstream media portrayal of her as this, you know, neutral, independent, legal mm. expert. Uh, but she says, quote, the rich, pampered, uh, prodigal, sanctimonious, incurious, white, straight sons of the powerful do pretty well everywhere in the world, and they always have. But what about us, snarky, bisexual, Jewish women who want the freedom to say what we think, read what we want, and love who we do? And as someone who's watched a lot of her speeches now, you just kind of see a similar message. She is an ardent progressive. I would almost put her in the, the category of radical. Oh, I think uh, she's a communist. Yeah. yeah oh, no, no, I think I, she's I, a communist. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree. I, I think you have to, we have to stop using these, these woolly words. They're not, she's not a liberal. She doesn't believe in liberal values. She doesn't believe in, 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 in liberalism. Um, hang on. Let's, let's do this. We have to seize back the high ground on patriotism and on love of our country because we have more reason than they do to love America. The rich, pampered, prodigal, sanctimonious, incurious, white, straight sons of the powerful do pretty well everywhere in the world, and they always have. But what about us? Snarky, bisexual Jewish women who want the freedom to say what we think, read what we want, and love whom we do. i I got to say, I mean... (laughs) Sounds much better in her voice, I think. Look... This is this is one of the most ludicrous things about modernity, is that you can have a in, an incredibly high profile, powerful woman like Pamela Carlin complaining that other people find it find other successes elsewhere in the world. Right? What about us? I mean, what about you? You're 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 remunerated millions upon millions of dollars over your career. You represent some of the highest profile clients in the world. Um, you have the freedom to be as snarky and as bisexual as you want, right? Nobody's stopping you. Every corporation in America has the gay pride flag as its logo for several months of the year now. You can't walk through a mall without having not just the 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 rainbow flag, but now this kind of uh, you know weird rainbow flag with a triangle on it with with more colours and pinks and whites and blacks and browns and all of this you can't walk through a street i said i said this years ago natalie you may not even know this or nor nor do you have any cause to remember it but i said there was a tipping point in washington dc a couple of years ago when you started to see more lgbt flags than you started to see american flags on the streets of washington dc this is your nation's capital ladies and gentlemen so what is pamela carlin complaining about the rich and powerful she is the rich and powerful. She she is literally sitting in the Justice Department right now, you know, working over papers, trying to figure out how she stops the Republican Party's efforts to, uh, you know, bring more fairness, at least more accountability, at least more transparency to the next election. And I just, you know, hearing Pamela Carlin bemoaning uh, uh, rich white men speaks only to one thing to me, Natalie, and that's racism. That's her internalized racism. That's her anti-white racism. And I don't know if she considers herself white or not. Uh, and I know there is a debate around that, certainly amongst my Jewish friends, as to whether or not they regard, you know, uh, Jews as, as as just as falling within the white category. That's for them to decide. I, I couldn't care less how Pamela Carlin identifies herself. Um, but but. The idea that she can sit there and complain that other people have privileges when she is perhaps one of the most privileged women in America, you know, I cannot understand that. I I, I think that is um, morally repugnant what she's doing there, cloaking herself in victimhood status when she has no victimhood in her life. Um, And I don't think she would ever know what, what that looks like. She's very happy to attack young men children like baron trump she's very happy to to say oh i'll walk on the other side of the street to the trump hotel whenever i'm in dc you know she makes 
She makes a total mockery of every every single uh, uh, occasion that she's a part of. And here's the wonderful thing. And you summarized this, uh, I think, in a text message to me yesterday when you said all of her speeches are just the same thing over and over again. She's got a shtick. She's got a, a stump speech that she gives everywhere she goes and anywhere she goes. And she's she's grifted her whole life off the back of these sort of two or three. And it would be fine if those things, and I'm going to end gonna the soapbox in just a minute, right? <laughs> on, but <laughs> it would be fine if um, she actually had some unique thoughts and some interesting notions about the world and the constitution and all of this, even if they were just two or three things, but they're not that she's unoriginal, she's derivative and her delivery is, you know, as El Presidente might say, it's a, it's a four and a half out of 10, right? You take one bite of Pamela Carlin and you know, every single other, you know, Pamela Carlin speech that you're going to get over to you. <laughs> well, you might disagree with me on this, but I, I do agree that in terms of her legal scholarship, I think a lot of it is pretty unoriginal. But I think what's really interesting about the clip that you just played mm. is that that's from 2006. Mm. And it almost sounds like it's something that you would have heard, you know, pretty mainstream today, right? Coming from the left. Mm. But I don't really think that that hardcore, don't get me wrong, it was always there, but I don't think that it was so public, right? Talking about, oh, you know, we hate straight white males. Again, I was very young when it, when it was 2006, but I think it just shows that her whole career, her whole life, she has pushed kind of these talking points, these narratives as someone who, as you said, has had immense power bouncing back and forth between Stanford law, uh, then the Obama administration, now mm -hmm. the Biden regime. So that sounds pretty powerful to me. Maybe she's just mad she was never appointed to the Supreme Court. But I mean, everything that she says. Well, she will be. Probably. She, she will be, if you know, under a Democrat she, president, she, she will be considered that, for that role. That Kamala Harris be nominated in an interview from a few years back for the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Oh, we've got to dig that up. I I'll, see. This is the issue. I watch all these videos, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, that could be good. I need to get a better system of bookmarking them because I can never find them. You, you should but text <laughs> me every single, whether it's funny or silly or whatever. But that because here's the thing. Right now, there is a there is a very deep chasm inside the White House between yes. Kamala's staff and, and and Joe's staff, and and by Joe's staff, I mean I mean Joe's bosses, mm -hmm. uh, and um. That would be very interesting to see their reaction to that. Well, I will write that later tonight. But just one other quick thing on her. Yeah. Um, not to, I feel like we always talk about, oh, the left always said that Russia stole the election. And mm -hmm. now look at them. They're not open to it. But Pamela Carlin was someone who in the early days of 2017 was doing several interviews, whether it was a, mm. with the Stanford Law Review, which isn't even really a political organization since it's not a mainstream media outlet. It's very academic in mm. its inception, but or conception rather but also doing interviews with Salon. And you can read the article. It's on, up on the website. It's called Pamela Carlin, Biden's anti-audit chief admitted U.S. elections could be, quote, stolen. She kind of outlines how foreign interference coming from Russia colluding with Trump could have happened and that really, quote, foreign involvement in U.S. elections was a thing, was a concern in the 2016 election. She also pushes for impeachment, despite it being just a couple months into the Trump administration, but that's right. neither here nor there. And then was an independent impeachment yes. witness. So, but you know, n nothing, nothing there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I just think it's kind of, kind of interesting um, that ba basically, and you can do this with any of really the mainstream media's headlines, uh, you can kind of replace Russia in a lot of her old statements with regards to election integrity, replace it with China, or sure. even too, I think maybe the more nuanced take on that, replace it with big tech, yeah. replace it with Zuckerberg, replace it with her, you know, Center for Tech and Civic Life. Yeah. And the sentences. It's not that they still work. It's that they actually work. They're actually <laughs> accurate. Um, so, so yeah, that's what I would say. <laughs> Rosemont Seneca Technology oh, yes. Partners. Now, look, we're already 43 minutes in. I have a... Uh, uh, um, I can talk in two times speed. No, well, hold on. <laughs> well, how about you just get to the point faster? Okay. I, <laughs> I'll go so quick. No, but hang on. I've got a Wuhan. call. I've got a call with one of our uh, one of our members that I'm already late for. I'm already 35 minutes late for. Oh no! So we have to do that. And by the way, I've got I'm inundated with these calls at the moment. We've just got uh, so many people joining up right now. I'm making as many of these phone calls as humanly possible. I may even I may even uh, uh, ask start asking them. Would you prefer to speak to Raheem or speak to Natalie? I'm pretty I was sure say, 99 percent of people will say Natalie, and so I will just be free. Up most of my evening. You could use an alien, but they are. Um, I could just use a. I could just use clips of you 
that we cut from other shows. Yeah, just giggling, and people would not know the difference. Chinese Communist Party. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Wuhan Institute of Virology. But I do want. But I do want to take the time to thank people for joining up. Uh, it is fundrealnews.com. That's how you support our work, support our scoops. So, Natalie, two quick scoops. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to have to go to the website if you want to read these in full. But quickly, just summarize these two that we've got up this afternoon. Number one, Hunter Biden on one side of the um, you know American political uh, corrupt dynast- political dynasties, and the other one, the Bush family. Take us away. Sure. So Rosemont Capital, which people may know, it was started in 2009 between Hunter Biden and John Kerry's stepson. This was kind of the the main entity, the main LLC that would later be spun off to form BHR Partners, which collaborated intensely to the tune of billions of dollars with the Chinese Communist Party, Mm. specifically the Bank of China. But one of the smaller subsidiaries of this Rosemont Capital was called Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners. But Mm. while it may have been smaller than its Chinese Communist Party-linked counterpart, nonetheless, it still listed Hunter Biden as a managing director and a co-founder. You can see this in archived versions of the website. I believe the website has been taken down since. No no surprise there. Uh, But what's Really interesting is another archive on this uh, company's website, specifically its portfolio, because it shows that it was invested in a company called MetaBiota. Yes, I got that right. Kind of a bizarre name. Uh, But very interestingly, since at least 2014, uh, Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners, which for the sake of time, I will refer to as RSTP, was an investor in this company. There's a separate document from another company that shows that it actually led the $30 million round of Series A financing for the company wow. in 2015. So that was a year later. And 2014 is an important year. Remember that when I when I finished this story. Mm. Um But since 2014, this company had been partnered with the U.S. Agency for International Development's PREDICT project. And people who are really familiar with Peter Doshak and EcoHealth Alliance may know that this was the USAID, which is, of course, a taxpayer-funded federal organization, program that purported to help stop pandemics, catch emerging infectious diseases. But I think now it's pretty safe to say that it failed. It was really just another failed big government approach to send our tax payers overseas and frankly facilitate collaboration with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But part of this program, one key component was EcoHealth Alliance, but Mm. another partner of it, partner with EcoHealth Alliance, was Hunter Biden's MetaBiota. So through this, you see several studies were published with authors from this firm, including people from EcoHealth Alliance, such as Peter Doshak, even studies read the article you can see about bats about bats in china even about bats in china in wet markets so you really got the kind of laying the groundwork uh with regards to the covid quote natural origins theory but what's i think the most bombshell uh, aspect of the story i'm aware i've buried the lead now um it's almost i think more insane than, than the alien stuff is that on one of the studies about bats in china and, and a presentation about quote how to live safely with bats uh collaborators on that project were Hunter Biden's Metabiota, EcoHealth Alliance, and the Wuhan Institute of Virology, specifically Shijiang Li, which is, of course, the Fauci-funded bat lady, the lady of really international fame uh, at, at this point. So, I mean, that it really is as crazy as a Hunter Biden-led firm invested, funded, facilitated research on bats with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And the other kind of parallel track here with this story, which frankly could be, you could dedicate a whole podcast uh, to, to that. And this goes back to 2014, which was the year that I mentioned. And that is, of course, with regards to Ebola. Mm. So this company, even if you take out the Chinese Communist Party and Wuhan links, there was a huge expose on it, actually in the Associated Press. And it was carried pretty significantly by mainstream media outlets, although they did totally blow the Hunter Biden links to the story. Uh, but it was really under fire for, quote, bungling America's response to Ebola. You can read in the article, I, I pull some, some of the best quotes, but it talks about how they made, quote, costly mistakes mm. that really cost lives. And it was so bad that even World Health Organization officials criticized the company. There's an email where I think they say, we can no longer support this. So as Joe Biden stands up there and lectures us about how to you know deal with a pandemic and in all his brilliance, not only did his son make money off of a bungling America's response to Ebola, but he also made money 
by funding an institution and, and just a program that quite literally collaborated with the military-linked Wuhan Institute of Virology. Well, he's been listening to Ralph Barrick. Yes. How to uh, how to capitalize on pandemics? <laughs> how to make money? <laughs> All right, look, we are we are going long today, and I do have to make this phone call because um, no bush story. Our members pay for it, and they deserve us to be prompt about it. So we will come back to the bush story later this week um, because actually, we, I think we're going to have more developments on that one as well. Ooh. So, Natalie, thank you so much for your uh, for your excellent reporting and your time today. Thank you. want to take a moment to thank some of the new members who have joined in recent days to support our work. You go to fundrealnews.com, fundrealnews.com. And I want to say thank you to Eric, Catherine, Sally, Laurie, Diane, Beverly, Gina, Francis, Jane, Mark, Taylor, Jeanette, Bruce, Zena, the Warrior Princess, Stephen, Keith, Joseph, Michelle, Dwayne, Alicia, Alicia again, Jeffrey, Ryan, Deborah, Dara, Dara, Heidi, Steve, Kristen, Michael, Rich, Donald, Robert, David, Kedron, Stephanie, Laura, Laura, Svetlana, Ilya, Jane, Kathy. I'm only two days back, by the way. Peter, Paul, Karen, Joshua, William, Jerry, Edward, Karen, Jack, and Barbara, Laura, Raul, Van, Victoria, Kelly, Ian, Jude, James, Patsy, David, Bruce, Beckwith, Neil, Gilda, Dulwich, Alan, Rose, Susan, Julie, Kathleen, James, William, Joyce, Eleanor, Chris, Stephen, Stephen, Thomas, Eric, John, Dean, Wow, you guys, I uh, can't say thank you enough for joining up with us. Make sure you head on over to thenationalpulse.com. Make sure you are subscribed to this podcast on all different podcast platforms. Help us rise up the charts. That makes more people find us. Leave a review. Leave a comment. That's not a request. That's an order. And we'll see you again for another episode of The National Pulse. Next time, featuring the Bush Foundation.